0: January 11th, 2018, we had the opportunity at 1001 to speak with author Bolaji Oyejide about his children's book series, Brave Young Heroes, stories which help young people to discover and unlock their unique superpowers. We hope you enjoy this special episode from 1001 Heroes. At 1001 Heroes, many of our stories revolve around, obviously, heroes. And today's guest is a big believer in heroes, especially when it comes to kids who face all kinds of challenges inside and out. And Bolaji has found a way to help them find their superhero inside so they can rise to meet their challenges. Bolaji Oyejide helps young people discover and unlock their unique superpower. He emphasizes the importance of grit, G-R-I-T, guts, resistance, initiative, and tenacity. Above and beyond talent or skill, Balaji believes that every individual has the ability to make the world better by being passionate about their unique superpower, taking the time to practice their craft, and doing it all in the service of a greater purpose. Balaji lives with his wife and two brave little heroes in North Carolina, USA. Hi, Balaji. It's great to be talking with you.
1: Hey, John. That was phenomenal. Thank you, sir. I love it
0: you've done you've written 50 books and we'd love to have you tell us how the idea first came to you to do this what inspired you and uh, and how you've progressed up to this point
1: oh, i love the energy that you're putting out into the world teaching kids and adults about heroes. and it's so important to me so here's how I sort of discovered this whole world that you play in, John. I actually grew up in Nigeria, so I didn't come to the United States until I was 17 years old. But here's the beautiful thing about story. Story is such a universal experience that even in Nigeria, I was living the hero's journey without realizing it before I even knew what the hero's journey was. So I grew up a very shy, socially <laughs> anxious, and socially awkward kid, right? I was the guy who would come up with the, the great uh, comebacks and punchlines like, like, like five or six hours after <laughs> the moment had passed, right? Yeah. And I, I just wasn't quick on my feet. I, I wasn't good with the young ladies. I, I wasn't as confident as the other kids, the other uh, guys that I hung out with, and I didn't get it. I thought I, something was wrong with me. Like, like, what's my problem? Why do I have to keep pretending to be this outgoing type A person that I know isn't me? I felt like I was broken. But story is what gave me hope. Mm-hmm. Story is what let me know that, listen, all the greatest legends and myths and superheroes, they didn't start off so great, but they had this this certain identity about them, even perhaps before they discovered th- that they were as strong as Hercules or, or or as fast as the wind, somehow they knew, no, there's supposed to be more to my story than this. This mm-hmm. isn't it. There's more. I just don't know what it is. And, and, and as an adult, John, I started realizing, I started seeing the patterns in my favorite movies. I would watch The Matrix and I would see <laughs> How, you know, this This character, Keanu Reeves' character, is walking through life, and he's just kind of fumbling and bumbling his way through, and he feels like, man, there should be more to this, to life than this, but he couldn't figure out what it was. Uh, Spider-Man comic books were the key into the lock for me, because Peter Parker, the, the alter ego of Spider-Man, was awkward. Like me, he was a nerd. Like me, he was terrible with the girls. The, the bullies picked on him. And I was like, man, if this dude, <laughs> as bad as he looks, as bad as things look for him, if this guy can get picked on by day but pick people up by night, I said, there's hope for me. I'm going to find my thing somewhere out there. And so story is what gave me hope that somehow I could transform from a caterpillar into a butterfly. I just didn't know when or how it would happen.
0: Yeah, it's amazing with kids. They can really be crushed by adversity. They haven't yet had the experience, and they don't always have the right mentors or friends who could help them up to that next step. And when they, when they hit a problem, boy, they hit it hard.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Matter of fact, I was talking to a gentleman today over lunch. He's 46 years old. He,
0: his son,
1: who's, uh, they discovered his son had diabetes, type 1 diabetes, at age 12. And his son was crushed. His son was devastated. So we just talked about the power of perspective. See, when you're young, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how talented you are. You don't have perspective. That only comes with experience, with time. And so the things that happened to us in those early years of our lives, they feel catastrophic, don't they? Because they feel so big. And up to that point, sure it might do. be the worst thing that's happened to us. And that's where I found myself. And superhero stories are what started to give me some perspective.
0: What was your first story? What inspired you? And what was your first story?
1: Oh, great question. Great question. So let me see. I think for me, it was... A story called That Dragon Stole My Horse, (laughs) which is kind of a bizarre title now that I look back at it. It was about this this, this young boy, and his name is Dylan Drake, and Dylan loves dragons. And he's always imagining dragons, tall ones and short ones, skinny ones and fat ones and colorful ones. Mm -hmm. And he's always telling people in the town that he sees dragons. So they kind of know that, okay, this kid, uh, he's a little bit off. He's a nice kid, but he sees dragons everywhere. Well, one day, Dylan is hanging out with his horse, Unicorn on the Cobb. Don't ask where that name came from. <laughs> uh, he's hanging out with Unicorn on the Cob, and this big, huge, humongous red dragon comes by and snatches Unicorn on the Cobb up and flies him up into the air. And so, of course, Dylan runs back into town and tells everyone, Dragon! Dragon! dragon and it's the literally the boy who cried wolf Mm -hmm. except he's crying he's been crying dragon all his life so they ignore him dylan now has to figure out a way to save his best friend unicorn on the cob from this very real very dangerous fire breathing dragon and i think i came up with that story because as a little guy who saw most challenges as larger than life, I wanted to feel like, you know what, even though I I might be too small to take on the dragons in my life, there's always a way. There's always a weakness, a chink in the armor. There's some way I can outwit or outthink that dragon. And so when I became a father, I figured my son was three years old. The first story I wanted to write for him was one in which he faced a larger-than-life bully that there was no way he could defeat physically,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: he had to stand up for his best friend. And that's what the story was about.
0: You know, everybody's going to ask, what happened?
1: <laughs> well, Buy so the first, book. <laughs> you know, thanks to being the boy who cried wolf, Dylan has no backup. So he realizes he's got to face this dragon, uh, look him in the eye and tell him face to face. Give me my buddy back and so he goes and he yells at the dragon drop my friend right now and so the dragon says no and dylan says drop him or else and the dragon says no so then the dragon gets kind of annoyed at this little boy being so defiant dragon drops the horse and picks up dylan Ooh. now is in trouble so dylan ends up using his wits he takes a feather out of his hat he tickles the dragon Apparently dragons are ticklish, in case you didn't know, John. Yeah, <laughs> the true. dragon, it's si- very scientific. Uh, you should look it up. Or go to your local zoo. You'll, you'll find this to be true. But, okay. uh, <laughs> you know, so the dragon drops him and is crying because because of uh, how ticklish he is. But then he starts to cry real tears. And it turns out the dragon has no friends. The dragon's, dragon isn't a bully. He just didn't have any friends and maybe not very good social skills. And so once Dylan tells him, You know, you don't do that to friends. You don't just grab them up and force them to play with you. But if you're nice, maybe you can play with us. And the dragon asks nicely. And Dylan says, okay. So then they all become the best of friends and take the dragon back into town. Very simple story for a three-year-old. But it opened me up to the possibility of doing what our ancestors did with us. Way before we had paper way before we had Amazon or or, or movies, mm-hmm. our yeah. ancestors were passing along life lessons, literally life or death lessons, through story. Mm-hmm. And I said, I need to pass along the, the little that I've gained in my at then thirty years on this earth, I need to pass that along to my son. So whether he runs into dragons or bullies on the playground, he needs to realize that his greatest asset, he might be a little guy, but his mind. If he can find the courage to face the challenge, his mind will help him find a way through the challenge.
0: Oh, you're so right, and and what a tremendous first book. I mean, that really shows a lot of creativity in that everybody has to face their dragons, and uh, that's it's just a great one to start with. I understand you also do uh, books about kids who have specific disabilities, um, whether it's uh, overweight or whether it's dyslexia, could you kind of uh, tell us about some of those stories?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to, John, and it's interesting, I suppose I sort of stumbled on these sort of heroes, but here's where it came from. While I was fortunate as a kid, my greatest adversity was social anxiety. I didn't have any serious disorder. I didn't have any disease to write home about. So I was fortunate. But being that social outcast, being the kid who was always the last one picked for soccer or dodgeball or whatever it was, it helped me build empathy for the underdog. It helped me build empathy even now when I watch sports. I can't stand to root for the the team that always wins. <laughs> you know, for example, I'm a basketball fan. I like watching the NBA. I love Steph Curry, but I can't stand the Golden State Warriors because they're just stacked. They've got all <laughs> the best players w- w- aside from LeBron James. It's no fun rooting for them.
0: I so know. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an Orioles fan, so, you know, I, I, I get oh, the same I feeling. It. It's tough being a it. Baltimore Orioles fan.
1: It is. But how fulfilling is it, the fact that even if they don't win, they still show up, they lace up their shoes, they take the field, and they face the challenge. I realized in looking back at my fascination with Spider-Man, Spider-Man was by no means the most powerful superhero. So I tried, when I started writing books, superhero books, I said, let me figure out why does Spider-Man appeal to me so much. Let me try to reverse engineer this thing. So the first thing that appealed to me about Spider-Man is that he was a kid. He was a 15-, 16-year-old kid. Most of the other superheroes were grown-ups. The second thing that appealed to me about him is he was neurotic. He was awkward. He wore that on his sleeve. And then I realized that even with his his, uh, power as a superhero, those challenges he had as Peter Parker always seemed to weigh him down. Spider-Man seems like the unluckiest hero in the world for every villain that he defeats, something in real life, like not being able to pay bus fare or, or something, always comes back to bite him in the butt. <laughs> like, that's real. That is real. So when I started making these superheroes, I said, I want to make superheroes for kids who, who, did, who got picked last in school. So I made a superhero, first of all, I, I, I made a superhero about a kid from Mexico. Okay? And this kid has, um, he gets anxiety, he gets uh, panic attacks. He doesn't like heights, he's afraid of heights. So of course, the superpower that he discovers is the power of flight. Yeah. He can fly. So so what do you do, John, as a superhero when the you know, the, the people need you, but every time you fly, you throw up. Do you use your powers and embarrass yourself or keep your dignity but maybe lose a little part of your soul knowing you could have made a difference. Tough. And I actually Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? But but I realized that my transformation as a shy introverted kid. I'm still introverted, right? It's not until later years that I learned the difference between shy and introverted. Right? Shy is perhaps being overly aware of what other people think about you. And introverted is getting your energy from alone time. So They're often related when when you're a child, but they're not exactly the same thing. So I still like my alone time. I can go network for a little bit. I can even do public speaking. I can do a podcast, but then I need to recharge. I need to go read a book, (laughs) right? I need to go watch some Star Wars for a little bit or or something like that. So I started creating these heroes with these ironic power and challenge sets because I want kids, I want people to realize that sometimes – You have to be a hero despite yourself. You don't get to be all-powerful before you go save the day. You have to save the day when it's inconvenient. And that's what our favorite heroes do. That's why even though Superman is essentially the first superhero, there's always something about him that, for me, I've always had him at arm's length. Spider-Man I relate to. Batman I relate to. Batman's tragedy is visceral. This kid saw his parents killed in front of him, and he went into a tailspin, went into a depression. He is obsessed, but he has a code. He has a moral code. And so Batman always struggles, plus Batman has no superpower. So you got to root for that. So I wanted to create those kind of heroes. I created a young lady from Egypt. She grew up in the desert, no parents. She's got a very stubborn, mean streak, so people don't like her. She has asthma, and she lives in the desert. What's (laughs) up with that? but she falls into a buried pyramid and discovers the power of sand. She can control sand. How do you control sand when you have asthma? Whew, that's a problem. So I kind of have fun creating those kind of stories because they create a lot of dialogue with my readers. Mm-hmm. I, I um, You mentioned uh, obesity, John. I created a superhero uh, that was obese, a young lady, because, as you know, a lot of our young people struggle with obesity. And there's a, there's a very big stigma about obesity. I'll tell you what. I have my older son. I have two boys. My older son is in the fifth grade now. And I recently took my books to his class, did a whole reading and everything, and I was passing the books out. And when the kids saw the young lady, her name is Titan, and we go into the whole Greek mythology with her story, when they saw her book, one, one young man said, uh, hey, she can't be a superhero. I said, why not? He looks around like, you know, doesn't this guy get it? Then he says, she's fat. I said, oh, okay. Yeah, we have some work to do. We have some work to do. So that that moment just sort of crystallized the importance to me, John, of creating these superheroes that maybe look a little bit different from what we're used to, mm-hmm. but they still... They still tell that same heroic story. They still speak to that little insecure 10 year old inside of all of us that needs to know no, listen, you don't have to pretend like you're not there. We see you, we need you. You will change the world. Mm-hmm. Not the big grown up, all confident adult version of yourself. No, it's that vulnerable part of you, the part that struggles. That's your strength. Because Look at me creating superheroes now. I've, I've reached over 200,000 kids with these books, and it's because I'm able to relate to that underdog. I'm able to relate to that Orioles fan. That's why <laughs> I create these type of stories. If my team had always won from day one, if I was the six-foot-four athlete, very confident, I would still have my contribution to make to the world, John. It just wouldn't be this.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's a great message that you send. You know, there's there is no defined picture, no no defined parameters for a superhero. What's great about what you do is that you provide inspiration for so many kids, because every single kid has a challenge. Yes, some some might be greater than others. Some might be fighting cancer, and some might be just fighting shyness. Yes, sir. But, but you definitely do through your heroes give them models to look to and to realize that, hey, I've got this inside of me. I just have to go in and find it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that, John. I, I really appreciate that. And honestly, the work that you're doing with this show, it keeps that theme of heroism in front of us. It's so important because I think probably a couple of generations ago, people lived in smaller towns, right? We didn't travel far and wide that much. Everybody knew each other. And we looked out for each other. We, we were essentially a community. But as people have traveled far and wide, we've become more individualized, right? And mm-hmm. so what that means is, well, I'm just focused on my survival and the well-being of my family. Right. As long as I'm good, my family's good, okay, everything is fine. I, I, I'm sorry for anybody else out there who's suffering. And what that does is it starts to make the concept of heroism, of empathy, even if we simplify it it starts to make it more abstract more foreign we've got to bring that back we've got to make being a hero cool again i often tell kids that we all love superheroes but i think society puts too much emphasis on the super and not enough emphasis on the hero we all want our we all want to be super we want our kids to be super We want to raise these kids who have good jobs, they get good grades, they marry a good person, have a good family, live in a good neighborhood, and take good vacations. We want them to have a super life. But how much of our time do we spend teaching them how to be a hero? How often do we ask our kids, were you kind, or who were you kind to today, or who was kind to you? You know, kindness isn't necessarily the most popular thing (laughs) to talk about with kids, but that is the core of being a hero.
0: You're so you might right. Not
1: be able, yeah, you might not be able to fly, but you could still help a lady carry her groceries or hold a door open or hold the elevator open or say please and thank you. That's being a hero.
0: You are so right. And that and that really does define special people. And there are less and less special people because everyone is so worried today about themselves. Mm-hmm. But you're right? One of, your, one of your book titles, and I, I didn't get to, to see what the subject was inside, but it was about procrastination. Um, but that's not the word.
1: Oh, right. No crastination.
0: <laughs> yeah. No crastination.
1: No crastination.
0: Yes, sir. And what, did, what, what does that one deal with?
1: Yeah, so that was an interesting one that I wrote probably a couple of years before I started writing the children's books. And I wrote that book almost for myself, John. It was almost a manifesto, a call to arms to myself, because here's the thing. I felt I always felt as a young person that I was talented, gifted, that I had something special. You know, I'd read so many superhero books. I was like, man, I'm going to I'm going to change the world. I'm going to do something special, man. I can't wait to find out what it is. But, -hmm. you know, that's what I that's what I was doing, John. I was waiting. I was waiting for it to happen to me.
0: What's the story of Doctrination?
1: Ah, Doctrination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, so Doctrination actually is a different character. I hadn't even found uh, seen the correlation between Doctrination and Nocrastinator. Yeah, so Doctrination is actually one of my villains. Um, there's a the dyslexic superhero. He is an African-American orphan from Detroit and he gets Ds and Fs in class because of his dyslexia but he's actually a mechanical genius. You know if you think about Iron Man in Marvel Comics or Marvel movies mm-hmm. this this kid is like that. So we call him kid clever and he invents <laughs> he's invented like a hoverboard, a flying a jet hoverboard, he's invented a little robot, he's actually invented little gadgets to help him read because he struggles to read, but here's what he's up against. So he is in a world where he loves technology. And on his side of the coin, technology is being used for good. He's using his technology as a hero. On the other side of the coin, there's a guy called Doctrination. And Doctrination is indoctrinating kids through video games and wearables. And I I created that concept because I think it was a couple of years ago, my kids were really into the Fitbit Everybody in class had a Fitbit. My kids had to have a Fitbit. I was like, you run around all day anyway. Why do you need to have a Fitbit? But no, they needed to have that technology. And it just sort of made me nervous. Like our kids are growing up with so much technology. They are so willing to adopt the latest gadget and technology. I said, what if there was a bad guy who started using that technology against them? And so I created this bad guy who is named Doctrination. And because of these video games and these wearables that the kids were using, this guy was mind controlling the kids. So all the kids walk around saying, indoctrination, we trust. And I just did that as a tongue-in-cheek way to say, hey, parents, you know, technology is really, really good. But we should also be careful about what messages our kids are being exposed to. Mm-hmm. through that technology. Technology can be used for good or for ill. So before you go out and adopt the latest, greatest technology, check it out. Make sure it's it's being used the right way by your kids.
0: Now, the one thing we didn't talk about was when you were 10 visiting Disney World and you were inspired there. What was that story?
1: So... <laughs> Uh, I did grow up in Nigeria, but when I was 10 years old, my parents saved up all their money and took my two siblings, older sister, younger brother, and flew us halfway across the world to Orlando, Florida. We had three days in what, to my 10-year-old eyes, was paradise. Wow, yeah. Okay. When I set foot on Magic Kingdom and I looked around, I hadn't even gone on any rides. I was like, one man imagined this (laughs) and built this, I said, this is what I want to do for a living. And and, and I I wasn't saying I wanted to create amusement parks, but the feeling that I had as a 10 year old, John, I was happy. I mean, just that pure unbridled, like I felt like I was flying. I was happy. And I was like, I want to find a way to reach kids like that, to impact kids like that, so that no matter what you're struggling with, you feel like, man, life is good. There is hope. I, You know, I just want to go out and do things right now. That's the feeling that Walt Disney gave me. and Walt Disney died before I was even born. So for a man, for his imagination, to have that kind of legacy, I was like, yeah. <laughs> now I'm fired up. That gave me a vision. And that's one thing that heroes do. Walt Disney is a hero to me. That's one thing that heroes do. They give us a vision of what we are capable of.
0: I had that same feeling that you did when that gate opened and I, I saw everything. To me, it was Frontierland.
1: How do you raise a superhero?
0: I, I can tell you're that kind of parent, you and your wife, and I know you're missing right now a practice that's got to be killing you. <laughs> But uh, I think to be a to raise super children, you have to you have to open their eyes to what's out there, and yeah. constantly constantly be their mentor, and constantly explore with them. I love that, and and open up that creative mind, that that creative mind that you have. And I can imagine your boys are are probably want to be a lot like their dad, and they're probably trying to follow in your footsteps now. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, you know that's a very interesting thing as well. Both of my parents are doctors. They. Both of them grew up in poverty. My father in a small village in Nigeria. My mom grew up in a city, but her father passed away at age 40. And because her her mother, so my grandma, was a stay-at-home mom with six kids, they were plunged into poverty. So both my parents grew up in poverty, and education was their way out. And so they became doctors, had three kids. They wanted all three kids to become doctors as well. (laughs) And so my older sister is a doctor. She is a doctor of oncology, so she studies cancer Mm -hmm. and hematology. Um, She studies blood. Very, very proud of her. I was a bit of a black sheep. I couldn't stand the sight of blood very early on. I knew, mom, dad, I'm not going into the family business. And so, but my parents were just going along with what you said. They realized or accepted that, okay, he's a little bit different. But we can still infuse him with our value system. Mm -hmm. We can still teach him character, teach him drive, hard work, principles. Those are non-negotiable. But they ended up being a bit flexible on the career. And so I'm trying to do the same with my kids and saying, hey, listen, dad is going to go for his dreams. I'm going to go for – this is the calling. This is the gift that I was given. I'm going to play play this hand out to the best of my ability. Yep. I don't know what cards you're going to be dealt. I just want you to play your cards to the best of your ability. So I'm going to show you, do my best to show you, uh, uh, to model how to take what you have and run with it. I want you to do the same. So I'm really trying hard not to pu- try to pull them into the family business. Because I've noticed, by the way, when you look at f- people who are very successful at what they do, a lot of times... If their child goes into the same business, the child might struggle. They might be have a the shadow of their parent casting a dark cloud over them. So I would almost prefer for my kids to love what I do, but take that inspiration and run in their own direction.
0: Now, you have two boys. Is that correct?
1: Yes, they are 10 and 7.
0: And where in North Carolina are you? We are in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, you're in Raleigh. Yeah. Great city. Yes. If you're ever up in the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area, I need you to make sure that my phone number is in your pocket and that you, and that you get in touch with me and we we'll get together for a cup of coffee and I'm going to want to hear about your latest projects.
1: That would be amazing. That would be absolutely amazing. I just, I'm such a huge fan of what you're doing.
0: First, how do people find your books? Yes. Let me know all the ways they can find your books and your website and if you want them to, to get in touch with you as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So they can find my books and me at my website, braveyoungheroes.com. That's H-E-R-O-E-S, braveyoungheroes.com. They can also find all my books on Amazon.com. So all 50 plus books are on there. And I'm on all the social networks as well. One of the advantages of having somewhat of an unusual name is that there aren't too many people uh, with the same spelling as mine. So my first name is spelled B-O-L-A-J-I. It's actually a common name in Nigeria, but here in the States, uh, you know, I'm usually one of <laughs> a few.
0: And the last name, O-Y-E-J-I-D-E. That's it. O Oyejide.
1: Man, you say that like we're kin or something. Are we cousins?
0: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a geographical question that probably won't go on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> but I want to know the difference between Niger and Nigeria. Wonderful. And then question. I'll tell you why I'm asking. Go ahead. Okay,
1: that's an excellent question. It, it's fascinating when you hear that they're pronounced different. You pronounce them perfectly. So here's what happened. So Africa was essentially divided up into multiple countries by a few of the European powers back in the late 1800s. France got the area that we call Niger. Okay. That's why it's pronounced that way, like a French word. England got the area called Nigeria, pronounced more like a British word. But there is a river, a really long, winding river that goes through both countries. It's the largest river, and it passes through both countries, so they're both named after the same river. In Nigeria, we call it the River Niger.
0: Niger. Okay.
1: <laughs> and in uh, Niger, they call it River Niger. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. I've got all the good information from you, uh, and and I appreciate the time you've just given us. I know you had to make a sacrifice to do it.
1: Thank you so much, John. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you, Balaji. Appreciate it very much, and uh, I hope all is well with you. Hope to hear from you again soon.
1: Likewise. Let's definitely stay in touch. Let me know how I can support what you're doing.
0: I will. Thank you.
1: Take care, sir. Okay, Bye-bye. you
0: too. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Bolazi Oyeji Day and that you stop by Amazon and pick up a few books for family and friends. He's an amazing guy and he's inspired lots of kids out there with his books Brave Young Heroes. That's the series. I'll place a link to Amazon in the show notes for you. Meanwhile, send us a nice review if you enjoyed the show. Until next time, this is your host and storyteller. John Hagedorn, and this is our story.